Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. Ladies, I'd like to talk to you this week about the T's of the characteristics and traits of great people. I'm referring to sensitivity and loyalty. And these traits and characteristics are literally the fiber and makeup of what we found Gidolim and great people to possess. You know, we just read a woman who just gave birth and she comes out of her period of Tahara. Torah says we want her to bring a korban, an animal, a lamb, and a bird, one bird, either a pigeon or a turtle dove. Says the Balaturim, the reason why the Torah told us this order, first the pigeon and then a turtle dove, is because the Torah would prefer that she brings a pigeon and not a turtle dove. She has a choice. She could bring either one. But because we mentioned pigeon first, the Torah's preference, we would rather she brings a pigeon and not, and not a turtle dove. And the question is why? What does it make a difference? Answers the Balaturim, and he tells us an incredible Yesod Gadol. Says the Balaturim, here is where the Torah teaches us <coughs> sensitivity. Says the Balaturim, the turtle doves, unlike any other bird, the turtle doves always travel in pairs. Unlike any other bird, the turtle doves, they mate for life. And therefore, if you are going to take this bird, this turtle dove, you know what you're causing? You're taking this bird away from its spouse. And its mate will spend the rest of its life grieving and be mitabel over the loss of its mate because turtle doves will not marry another. Look at the sensitivity that the Torah wants from us. If you have a choice, don't take this bird. Don't take the turtle dove. Don't take the spouse away from this bird. Better take the pigeon. Have the sensitivity of these and to these two birds. Says the great Baal Musar, says Rav Simchazisul, if you want to talk about sensitivity training, take a look. If the Torah was so sensitive that it doesn't want to cause unnecessary pain to a bird, could you imagine how makpid the Torah is not to cause unnecessary pain to a wife? to a husband, to a spouse, to another Jew. Sensitivity training. It's amazing. Think about this. It's with this that he adds another amazing observation. He says, when you take a look at these turtle doves, you see how much the Torah rewards the concept of loyalty. These two birds, they mate for life. Everywhere they go together. They're literally in each other's company for their entire life. 
These two birds, the loyalty, one is gone, the other never remarries, the other will not marry another. Loyalty, says the Torah, learn from these two birds. Because in the eyes of Hashem, loyalty is unbelievable. Take a look. Take a look how Hashem, from all the wonderful descriptions and compliments that Hashem gave to the greatest Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu. What did Hashem say by Moshe? Bechol beti ne'emanhu. Did you hear that? Hashem gave the compliment and the description of greatest greatness upon Moshe Rabbeinu as what? Ne'eman. He's loyal. He's an Eved Ne'eman, a loyal servant. Ne'eman, all reliable. He's trustworthy. To Hashem, that was the highest compliment. He could have said anything. Describing Moshe Rabbeinu, he could have said, Bechol beti tzadikhu. But he didn't say that. He could have said, Bechol beti yasharhu. Bechol beti anavhu. We know. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest anav. But that's not what Hashem said when it came to describing the greatness of Moshe. What did he say? Bechol beti ne'eman hu. The greatest compliment and description that I can give to Moshe Rabbeinu is his loyalty. Says the Ba'alei Musar, take a look how much Hashem is machshiv, the loyalty of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Torah is machshiv, the loyalty of these two birds. And because of that, leave them alone. Reward them from their loyalty. You have a choice to take a pigeon or a turtle dove. This time, take the pigeon. Reward them to remain together in loyalty. Be sensitive. And here it is. Sensitivity and loyalty. The traits and the standard that Torah holds us up to, to be great Jews, to be Gedolim. These are the traits of great people. Ladies, I'd like to tell you a fantastic story. This story to me really is an eye-opener. This story goes back to 1927. In 1927 in Eretz Israel, there happened to have been a tremendous earthquake it was one of the worst earthquakes that Israel has ever seen in its history. Actually, this earthquake, it averaged, it came in at 6.2 on the Richter scale, which is tremendous. It started in the Dead Sea, and it made its way all the way to Jerusalem. The entire Yushalayim was shaking for 22 minutes. This earthquake went on. Buildings were dropping like flies. The entire Jerusalem took such a shaking. People were screaming in the streets in pandemonium. They didn't know what was going on. In the middle of the 1927 earthquake, in Jerusalem, in Yerushalayim, there sat the great Sephardic Gadol, known to Klal Yisrael as Rabbi Yaakov Haim Sofer, Zechit Tzadik Lebracha. He's better known as the Kafa Chaim, the legendary works of the Kafa Chaim, as he wrote the Sephardic Halacha on Shulchan Aruch, the Pirush that he wrote, there he sat, the Kafa Chaim, on the third floor of the Bet Knesset in Jerusalem, 
known as Shoshanim David. The Kafachim sat on the third floor. He sat in a library, which happened to have been the Ezrat Nashim. And there the Kafachim sat day and night writing his legendary pirush of the Kafachim on Shulchan Aruch. And there hit, and then the great earthquake. The building of the Bet Knesset Shoshanim David, the building was shaking like a leaf. Kafachaim was on the third floor. The books were falling off the shelves. The bookshelves were falling down. The walls were practically caving in. The Kafachaim didn't budge. He was a middle of learning. He was so engrossed in his learning and in his writing, he didn't move as if nothing was happening. And then he stopped for literally a moment. And he remembered there's a six-year-old boy that comes to that shul every day and he learns by himself on the first floor of the shul. Kafchaim stopped, he said to himself, oh boy, this, this, this six-year-old, he must be petrified. I mean, now the whole building is shaking. The earthquake. The Kafchaim closes his books. For the sensitivity of this boy, for that, he'll stop learning. He goes running down the steps. He comes to the first floor and sure enough, he was right. There is the boy standing in the corner of the shul and the boy had his hands on the wall and he was holding on to one of the bookshelves and he was crying hysterically. Kafachayim sees the boy, he runs up to him and he hugs him and he calms the boy down and he takes the boy's hands and he says, relax, it's okay, don't worry, I'm here with you, everything's gonna be okay and the building is shaking and the Kafachayim's talking to the boy, relax, it's all right, you're not alone, I'll take care of you, I'm here with you, I'll bring you home to your parents safe. Don't worry, everything will be okay. And the more the Kafachaim spoke with such warmth and love, the more the boy was able to relax. Till finally, the boy calmed down. The earthquake subsided. Kafachaim smiled. He took the boy by the hand. And just then, the earthquake started up again, but this time even stronger. And the building was shaking back and forth. Mamash, like they've never seen. At that moment, the boy got so scared, he started to cry again. He started running towards the door. The Kafachim ran after the boy. He grabbed him. He told him, no, 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 don't go out there. It's dangerous. You can't go out there. It's an earthquake. He grabbed the boy again. He hugged him. Again, he relaxed him, held the boy by the hands, and he told him, don't worry. I'm here with you. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to take you home when it's over. Don't worry. I'm here with you. You're safe. The boy calmed down. The earthquake finally ended for good. After 22 minutes of havoc, the earthquake finally subsided. The Kafachayim takes a breath, holding the boy's hand. He walks up to the door of the shul. He's taking the boy now home. He opens the door. He's about to take a step out and suddenly... He looks down and the two-story staircase that once led up to the front door of the shul, which was two stories high, the earthquake completely collapsed the entire staircase. Here the Kafachayim is looking down at a two-story drop right down to bedrock. 
He's about to fall off with the boy. He reaches back and grabs the mezuzah, holding the boy's hand. He holds himself up. Slowly, he takes a step back. He pulls the boy into safety. He realized if he would have let this boy run out before Shema Yisrael, what would have happened? The boy got all hysterical. The relaxed and said, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Baruch Hashem, we were, just, we were just saved. He saw people running back and forth, emergency people. He started screaming to people, quick, bring us a ladder. They brought him a two-story ladder up to the door of the shul now. No more staircases, no more steps. Kafachayim picks up the boy, puts him on his shoulders, and he goes down the ladder all the way till the bottom to the street. There he took the boy by the hand, and he went through the streets and brought him to his house. Such warmth and sensitivity. Putting himself in harm's way just for the feelings of this little boy that he doesn't even know. He smiles at the boy and he tells him, now you're safe. Baruch Hashem, you're home. Hashem saved us. And the boy looked up to the Kafachayim and he was thanking him and thanking him. And then the boy went into his house. The name of that young six-year-old boy was Ovadia Yosef. Wow. That little boy was Chacham Obadia, who was saved by the Kafachayim. Amazing. And that's why, ladies, years later, when the Kafachayim passed away, the Kafachayim's legendary works and writings on all of Shulchan Aruch, his son, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Sofer, wanted to publish and put out the legendary work of the Kafachayim. But the problem was that his father died in the middle of Siman Kuf Yud Zayin in Yoredeah, and there was still two Simanim left that his father did not live to write on. And he said, how am I going to publish and put out my father's works on almost the entire Yoredea, almost the entire Shulchan Aruch? I can't. I need to find somebody, somebody really big enough that actually can finish the legendary works of the Kafachayim. Now, to find somebody like that <laughs> is to find somebody, a rabbi, that knows all of Shas and all the Rishonim, Aharonim, all the Poskim. He knows uh, practically everything. You have to, in order to finish the great Gadol, the Kafachayim's work, you have to be able to finish it. Only one name came up. And this name came up again and again and again. The name of the 27-year-old Sephardic Dayan that was just appointed to the Bedin in Jerusalem, the name of the great Chacham Obadi Yosef, Zechit Sadik Bracha. And Ramosha Sofer, the son, he comes to Chacham Obadia, 27 year old, he was already appointed to the Bedin of Jerusalem. He comes to Chacham Obadia and he was worried. He was worried that although he knew Chacham Obadia was the perfect one for the job, but he was worried that now that he was just appointed as Dayan, would he be able to find time to do this? This is a big job. And if he is going to do this tremendous job, will he lose the Dayanut because of this? He was just appointed. He came to Chamobadia and he said, I would like you to finish 
my father's works. I'd like you to be the one to finish the kafahayim on your de'ah. Hamobadia. He turned to Ramosha Sofer and he said, I'll do it. For your father, the kafahayim, I'll do anything. Ramosha Sofer, but, but maybe you're going to lose your job as Dayan. I mean, it's a lot of hours. He says, even if I lose my job, I will never forget what your father did for me as a six-year-old boy on that day of the earthquake many, many years ago, how he saved my life and the sensitivity and the warmth, how he held my hand, how he talked to me, how he cared for, he didn't know me. That sensitivity was legendary to me. Look at the characteristic traits of the Gidolim, of great people. Take a look at the loyalty he remembered from six years old what the Kafa Chaim did for him that day. Even if it meant losing his position, he's going to finish the works of the Kafa Chaim. And on the other hand, look at the sensitivity that the Kafa Chaim showed to a six-year-old boy putting himself in harm's way just because maybe that boy is crying. Let me go help him. Let me save him. He could have walked away. It's not my kid. Let somebody else deal with it. No, that's not the way of Gidolim. That is my kid. That's our Klali Israel. That's our Chacham Obadi Yosef. As a six-year-old, he came running. He hugged him. He talked to him. Sensitivity carried him home. This is the way of Gidolim. These are the great two T's on the characteristic traits of great people. Sensitivity and the loyalty. This is something special. Here in America, we were very fortunate, lucky, only a few years ago, to have from one of the greatest Gidolim to live in the last how many years? The great Ramosha Feinstein, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha. He was the Posek of America. He was the Gadol of America. Ramosha Feinstein was not just a gaon in learning. He was not just a giant of a giant in Torah. You know what they say about Ramosha Feinstein? They say that he was able to go over and review the entire Shisha Sidre Mishnah while folding up his tefillin every morning. I mean, we're talking about a giant of Torah. But how great he was of a giant in Torah. He was just as great of a gadol in Ben Adam Lechavero, in people. And his sensitivity for people was something that was legendary. Listen to this. <clears throat> right after World War II, it was a very common, there were many orphans of the war. So many of these young children that came out of the concentration camps, La Aleinu, they saw their parents perish right in front of their eyes. Where did all these children go to? Many of these children went to the Diskin Orphanage Home in Israel at that time. And that's actually what it was set up for. Many of these children were brought here to the United States. Where did they end up? In the yeshiva by Ramosha Feinstein in the Lower East Side. There, in the yeshiva, in the student body, they brought in many hundreds of orphans, orphans of the war. And the yeshiva became their father, their mother, their family. The yeshiva provided for them all their needs. 
The yeshiva actually went out and clothed them. Besides that, they fed them. Every holiday, they always brought them what they needed. They, they needed to raise funds to do this. And one time, the president of the yeshiva, who, although he meant well, but he did something that what you're about to hear, here you can imagine, they had to raise funds. They threw a dinner. They had a big table in the front, the dais. On the front table sat all the honorees, the wealthy people that gave money to buy the clothing and the shoes and the food for the orphans. And next to them in the middle sat Ramosha Feinstein, the Rosh Yeshiva. And next to him sat the committee of the yeshiva and the president. The president was the master of ceremony. The president of the yeshiva stood up and he was making a speech thanking the honorees for giving money to help out the yeshiva and to help out the orphans. And then he made a terrible mistake. Although he didn't mean to. And of course, his intentions were pristine. But he got up and he said, and now I would like to ask all the orphans in the crowd to stand up and give kavod to the honorees who helped with the monies for the clothing and the food and everything that we were able to get for you. And at that second, who was the first one to jump to his feet? Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein quickly stood up. And when everyone in the room, the whole neighborhood, the whole yeshiva, saw the Rosh HaYeshiva stand up, what did everybody else do? Everybody stood up. Now nobody knows who's the orphan and who's not. Now let's talk about sensitivity. Now see what the makings of a gadol is really about. That's a gadol. On a split second. How did he come up with that? How did he do that? How did he come up with such a hezbon? Just to protect the honor and the sensitivity of these poor orphans. Ah, Ramosha Feinstein. Zechet tzadik lebracha. You know, they say over that Ramosha once in his home, he had, he just bought a brand new Vilna Shas. In those years, super expensive. Paper was very expensive. I mean, the printing in those years was very expensive. This was a brand new Vilna Shas. It was something like a prize, something that he saved up for for years. A Talmud, a student was there. And a very famous story how the Talmud was a little careless and by mistake the student knocked over the inkwell and the ink went right across the brand new Gemara. Now to us that might not seem so, oh, but I want to explain to you something. Could you imagine an Italian guy who just bought a brand new black Camaro and you went with a key and you keyed a line right across the side of his car? Could you imagine the reaction you would get? Could you imagine an artist who just went and painted the most magnificent painting after months and months of work, and on the last day, right before the artiste is able to sign their name at the bottom of the painting, somebody comes along and knocks over the ink and splats across the painting, and it's it's ruined. 
any feeling of emotion you feel now for them, you've got to times it by a million for the great Ramosha Feinstein, what that Gemara meant to him. That was his everything, his Vilna Shas. Brand new! And here, splash right across. Ruined. Immediately, without even batting an eyelash, Ramosha Feinstein looks up and smiles. And he looks at his Talmud and he says, look at that. How much nicer my Gemara looks in blue. That takes a giant of a man. That takes years and years of working on oneself and sensitivity to other people. Ramosha Feinstein was someone to emulate in this area. They say, A little bit of a comical story, and I, I know I've said this one clearly in the past, but I think it has, uh, I have this two-year mark, that if I don't say a story in the last two years, I try to get away with it. It doesn't work, by the way, because at the end I see people mouthing the words, but it, it's okay. But this is a classic. Ramosha Feinstein was older in his years, and he was by the doctor, and the doctor told him, Rabbi, that's it. No more phone calls, people with their problems. It's working on you. It's robbing you of your health. You need peace and quiet. No more phone calls, no more problems, no more people. Just sit and rest. It's hurting your health. And Moshe Feinstein looks at the doctor and says, it's as if you're asking me not to drink water. If I'm not gonna help the people, who's gonna help the people? I have to help Klal Yisrael. What happens if what happens if a widow calls me? Who's going to help her if I don't answer? What happens, chas shalom, if two brothers get into a fight? I need to try to make shalom between them. How can you ask me that? The doctor says, Rabbi, this is your health. You cannot answer any calls. That's it. No more. That's all the Rebetzin had to hear. The doctor said that the phone calls, they're making him sick. No more phone calls. That's what the doctor said. That's it. The Rebison and Ramosha Feinstein come home that evening. And the Rebison turns to her husband and says, Ramosha, I have a wedding tonight. Very good friend of mine, her daughter. But I'm not going. Because of you. Because I know. If I walk out that door, the minute the phone rings, you're going to jump to pick it up. Even though the doctor said no. Ramosha says, my wife, please, Rabbitson, please, understand me. What happens, chas shalom? if a person needs a psak halacha on an emergency situation, I shouldn't pick up the phone. What happens if somebody is on the operating table and they're calling from the hospital, should they operate or not? I shouldn't get psak halacha. I have to answer the phone. Klal Yisrael, how could I not? The Rabbitson says, I understand and that's why I'm not going to the wedding. Because I know you're not capable of looking away at the pain of other, another Jew. I'm staying home tonight. Ramos says, no, 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 Rebison, you can't. Please, you can't. <clears throat> Ramos said, please, this is a good friend of yours. It's going to mean a lot to the Kala that you're going to be by the wedding. You have to go. The Rebison says, I can't. Your health is more important. Ramos says, no, 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 no. This is a kala. She'll see you there. She'll be happy. 
and, and, and her mother is your best friend, you have to go. The Rebetzin says, I'll only go if you tell me you're not going to answer the phone. Everyone said, aye, aye, aye. <sighs> Okay. If that's the only way you're going to go, then fine. I won't. With that, the Rebetzin went into her room. She got into her wedding clothing. She came out. And Moshe told her, enjoy the wedding. Send my regards to the family. Such a beautiful simcha. And as she's walking out, she says, remember, we have a deal. No phone calls. Okay. Ramosha says, you're right. And the Rebetzin leaves. Ramosha sits down to his Gemara, and he does what he did day and night. He continues to learn. And he's learning and learning. And then suddenly, bring Oh, boy. Ramosha finds him right away. He says, I, I, okay, I didn't hear it. He keeps learning. Bring Ramosha says, that's it. I can't do this. What, what happens if that's an almana on the phone? Maybe she needs somebody to help her. I'm not going to answer the phone. What happens if maybe it's Yitomim? There are orphans that need father, love, families. I can't answer the phone. I have to answer the phone. Ramosha says, I can't. He gets up. He walks towards the phone. And the phone stops. Ramosha says, oh. All right. He goes back to the Gemara. He continues to learn. Ten minutes later, bring Moshe finds his dad. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Maybe that's two brothers that haven't been talking. Someone needs to make shalom between them. Maybe someone's in trouble. Maybe it's Pidyon Shvuim. I have to answer the phone. And Moshe gets up. He takes two steps. He stops. He says, I, I, I. and then it stops. Oh, he goes back. He says, that's it. He's sitting there. And he's trying to get into the Gemara learning so that he doesn't hear anything. And he's in pain. Mamash pain. Finally, bring. Moshe says, that's it. He jumps up. He runs up. And he says, I, I can't. Somebody out there needs my help. He picks up the phone and he hears, didn't I tell you not to pick up the phone? Rabbitson, I'm sorry. I thought... I thought, I, I look what a gadol is. Look, look at the sensitivity. Look at the sensitivity. Look at what it means to be great. These are great people. These are the people we should be looking up to. These people worked on themselves and their love for other people their whole life. These are the sensitivities that we should remind ourselves of. And this is what the Torah is crying out to us with these two turtle doves. If you have a choice, take the pigeon. Because if you take that turtle dove, its spouse, its mate, it'll be mit'abel, its entire life in mourning and grieving, and it'll never marry another because of that sensitivity. Don't break up those two birds. Feel. If the Torah is asking us to feel for birds, how much? Are we supposed to be having sensitivity training for another Jew, for a spouse, for our kids, family members, a neighbor? These are the characteristics of great people. And ladies, I want to share with you something. I found over the years that, you know, you're going to meet all different types of people out there in life. 
with all different types of personalities. Some people are going to be a little bit warmer and some a little bit more reserved. Some are going to be a little bit more sensitive and some a little less sensitive. But one thing I found over the years, regardless of what group the people you meet are in, somehow or other, when you are somewhat more sensitive than the person who you're dealing with expected you to be, and you come off in a certain way that for a moment the person stops and says, wow, you know, that was really nice of them. They went the extra mile for me and my feelings. And although they might not show it on the outside, because people sometimes have that wall of pride, but on the inside it registered. I will guarantee you that although that person might not be considered sensitive to the world, but the next time around, they will be sensitive to you. This is one of those areas that makes such an impression on people. When you show them a sensitivity of the way you deal with them, when you show them a certain emotion and a feel, even if they're the toughest people, tough as nails, but somehow or other, they soften themselves up to you. And this gives you an opportunity. This gives you an opportunity not just to be great, but to bring out the good in people. People that you never expect, rough people. But over the years, you'll find that even they around great people and great characteristics, the best suddenly is brought out of them as well. That's the sensitivity Torah is asking from us, for us and for everybody around. And it becomes something very unique. People will never forget you when you show them an emotion and a sensitivity that registered by them as special. Suddenly, in their eyes, they might not tell it to you, they might not even show it, but inside, they say, wow, you know what? I'm going to remember that. I'd like, and the reason why I'm talking about this so strongly, is because in the generation we're living in today, where things somehow or other went from quality to quantity, where somehow we're losing a certain quality of life to a quantity of just looking to amass and get more and more of whatever we think we could self-serve ourselves. Where now society, little by little, are becoming extremely selfish. And we come from people that were extremely selfless. Their emotions and their sensitivity for others was always what separated them from everybody else. This is a concept to be mahazik, to be able to feel other people and show them the emotion and the feelings. And especially, not just sensitivity, but loyalty. I just want to take a few more minutes on loyalty and our generation today. I want to share with you a story that I know without a shadow of a doubt, this story changed my relationship with my father without a question, forever. This story literally made us and kept us over the years like probably nothing else at least in my books. When I was 17, maybe 16, 
I was in high school at the time. I had a very close-knit group of friends. We were like, we were boys. We were really like a little gang. And we were so close. Our group of six, we were the magnificent six we used to call ourselves. And we were tight. And we really believed that we were ready to die for each other. We really believed that at the time. And then, as the year went on, it came Cholamoyed. And this was a great opportunity for us to get away and have a great time. The only few days of school that we had off. So we decided, we found out that everybody else, you know, the world, you know, when you're young, you think the world is also 17. Anybody above or below, don't, that don't exist. But the world, meaning the other million 17-year-olds, the world, the world is going to great adventures. Everybody was going to Six Flags that year for Cholamoyed. Every, till today, nothing changed. But everyone's going to Six Flags Great Adventure, Cholamoyed. So we decided, well, no. If everybody's going to Six Flags, nah, not us. We, we have to be the cool guys. You know, we have to be different. We have to be special. We got to stand out. Defining teenagism. We got to stand out. So where are we going to go? We found out that Dorney Park in Pennsylvania is opened that Cholamite. That's it. We're going. Everyone's going to Six Flags. We, we're going to Dorney Park in Pennsylvania. The only question now is, how are we going to get there? Some of us had our permits. Nobody had their license. And even though one guy in the group might have had his license, there's no way his father is giving him the car after getting a license after two weeks. Not to Pennsylvania, that's for sure not. He was lucky to get down to the grocery and back at the corner. So I decided, I was the leader of the group. I'm going to be the one to have to go to my father and beg him and plead that he drives us in the old station wagon. Remember what those things look like? <laughs> the old station wagon up to Dorney, Pennsylvania, to Dorney Park. And I begged. And I pleaded. And I begged. And I said, Abba, please. We don't really ever go away together anywhere. These are my best, best friends. And this is the biggest day of the year. We were waiting for this. We, we, we were really dreaming about this. Please, Abba. I know it means to take off, but could you drive us up to Dorney? <coughs> After I drove the poor guy crazy enough, he said, okay, fine. I'll take you. All right, I'll take you. And here it is, that big day. I'm telling you, ladies. I had no trouble waking up for Minyan that morning. I was up at 5.30, went to the first Minyan. After that, shower, I had my clothing picked out from the night before. Sounds like a girl. I had clothing picked out from the night before. And this, well, you don't understand the excitement this was to me. And then my father and I, came time that we all made up. We drove around picking up all the guys, and here we are. We had the music blasting. We were on a high. This was Gan Eden for a 17-year-old. We are on our way to Dorney, Pennsylvania. Wow, what a day this is going to be. Memorable. And I said to myself, I was the roller coaster guru. I was going to be the guy to take him around from ride to ride. This was my day in the spotlight with my boys. And then there we were. I'll never forget. On Bay Parkway and 86th Street, when my father stopped for a red light. And then suddenly, we hear, near, 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 near. 
And I looked at my father. And my father looked back at me. And I said, no. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, nah, come on. No way, no. No, body of love, no. You're not going to do this. Now, you wouldn't do this to me today. Not now. Not with my best friends in the back seat. Not with my father driving. Not on the way to Dorney Park. Not on the one day or two of the year that I have all from You wouldn't do that to me. Come on, body of love. So a big smile looked at my father and said, hey, Abba, what was that? And he looks back at me and he says, I don't know. And suddenly he presses on the gas pedal. No reaction. He shuts off the car and tries to turn on the car. I said, oh, Shema Yisrael. I'm living my worst nightmare. I cannot believe this happened. And in the back is sitting the other five Indians thinking to themselves, although obviously they wouldn't say it, but it was that, that awkward silence where everyone in the back, you can feel them thinking, uh-oh, oh no, why did we ask his father to take us in this old, broken down, oh, what an embarrassment. This was a busha for a lifetime. I got out of the car. My father got out of the car. The guys got out of the car. We pushed the station wagon over to the side of the road. My father opened up the front hood and then whoosh, the smoke signals started coming out of the carburetor. And I looked at my father and he looked at me. Oh yeah, I remember that look on my father's face like, I feel so bad to do this to you. The car is kaput, dead. I'm talking about Kaddish. Done, dead, finished. My friends, they're looking at each other. What do we do now? This was a big day. You don't understand. We, we were counting down Svirata Omer till this day. This was the big day. Right across the street, there was some sort of a movie theater there that's no longer. One of the guys ran across the street and he found, you know, this invention. Once upon a time, it was called a, a payphone, <laughs> where you actually had to feed it like a pet, and you fed it dimes and quarters, and this guy started throwing in dimes and quarters, and he's calling up everybody he knows. And then he gets his father on the phone, and this guy tells his father, Dad, you gotta come now, it's an emergency. Dovi's father's car died. We're on the biggest day of the year. We're already 45 minutes late. How are we going to go around and do all the rides 57 times? The place closes at 9. We're late. Dad, you got to come now. And his father agreed. And 15 minutes later, his father came up, drove up in a brand new car. And all my friends, all they had to do was see the car. They all went running, jumped into the car. And I'm standing there in the toughest position I ever found myself in life. My friends were screaming, calling, Dovi, come on, let's go. We got to get out of here. It's late. We lost an hour. Come on. And I'm looking back on the other side of my father standing at the car with the hood up and the smoke coming out. Now, what am I going to do? And these, these are my best friends on the biggest day. And I, I'm, I'm the roller coaster guru. I'm the guy that's supposed to be running this. But then I see my father standing there, broken down out the side. I'm going to leave him? I'm going to tell you something, ladies. It's 
very questionable when people are put in these positions what we decide to do at that moment. I just didn't know what to do. I looked at my friends, I looked at my father. I was in the worst tug of war of my life. I walked up to my father, before I could say a word, my father said to me, Dove, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I called AAA. They'll be here eventually, an hour or two, but don't worry, I won't be stuck here all day. Go with your friends. I know how much this day meant to you. Go have a blast with your friends. I said, Abba, I'm gonna jump into a car and leave you. You were doing the biggest thing for me. I'm gonna leave you broken down on the side of the road. Just jump in and go with my friends. I can't. I'm staying with you. He says, Dove, go ahead. Just go with your friends. And I hear my friends, Dove, let's go already. It's late. Come on. We're late. We lost an hour. I said, Ava, I'm staying with you. I walked up to my friends. I said, guys, listen, I'm staying with my father. You guys go ahead. You have a great time. Come back. Tell me everything that happened. But you know what? That's my dad right there. I walked up to him. We waited for two hours. <laughs> AAA finally showed up. They towed us back. The rest of the day, my father and I sat in the house on a cup of tea. And we just talked and we laughed for the rest of the day. And our relationship after this day was never, ever better. That moment of loyalty created a bond that was cement until today. These are the moments, these characteristics keep us and literally build us. The greatness of people, sensitivity and loyalty. And I want to tell you something, ladies, I'll let you go. But I work a lot with young guys. I work a lot, I teach 11th and 12th grade. We have here in the shul almost 150, 200 guys. I want to tell you, I teach Gemara, I teach Musar, but every kid will tell you that by us, I put a tremendous emphasis on building them as tremendous people. I want one day for this guy to be a great husband to a young lady. I want this guy one day to be a great father to his kids. We lost in the shuffle. Everyone's running after education, education, this college and that college. In 10th grade, they have college representatives knocking down their door, internships. Internships? You're going to put a tuxedo on a chamor? Internships? Let's make them people first. Let's make them men first. We lost the view of what we're supposed to be putting in them. Everybody's in that image of the great labels. But what happened to the old basics of building men to be real balemidot? What happened to this concept of making them real? They could have every teuda, they could have everything you want of every emblem, of every certificate on their wall. And then they come home to a wife and they're clueless. They come home to kids and they're abusers. How did we miss this? How come we're not teaching any more sensitivity, loyalty? You want to hear a class of mine that I give to every class? Every class, in the shul and in the school. An example, and I'll close the speech with this. 
But I want you to taste this. I open the class and I turn to all the guys looking them dead in the eye and I say to them, I want to go around the room and get an answer from you. And here's my scenario. There are five guys standing at a bus stop waiting for a bus to go to Borough Park. You and your four friends, five all together. And a car pulls up and a car stops. And there's somebody you know from the community as trustworthy, a friend of the family, that says, hey, you going to Borough Park, guys? I'll give you a lift, I'm going there too. There's only one problem. The car only fits four. And suddenly everyone starts shuffling in the car and they squeeze in and there's one guy standing outside left behind. And then of course there are always those people that on one hand, they're too selfish to do anything, but at the same time, they do have a conscience. So they say, don't worry, there's another bus coming right behind us. We'll only be there five minutes before you. Oh, you gotta love those people. You gotta love them. Yeah, Hazal Baruch, you know what? You give me your seat, you come out here, you'll be the one to take that bus on the next one, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, but then there's the better ones. The ones that say, come on, squeeze in. We could, we could squeeze in another guy. And then after, try oh, we tried. It's not that we left you. We tried. We were short by a little bit. But come on, the thought that counts. The thought. Okay, so come out here and think with me while, while we wait for the bus together. I asked the guys this question and many of these type of questions, putting them in real life situations and getting hard honest answers. What would you do if you saw your friend standing out there alone, left behind from the group? Would you have the loyalty and the sensitivity to get out of the car and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let you stay behind alone. I'm going to get out and I'm going to wait with you for the bus. Let everybody else go. These are the days of Svirata Omer. Rabbi Akiva, the Prince of Midot. If anything, we should be looking for the great character building of ourselves, sensitivity and loyalty, our kids, and making them what Be'ezat Hashem they really could be one day. Great men, great people, Gidolim, not just in learning, but between each other as well. Ben Adam Thank you so much for listening.